Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www's. That's the um, www.3cr.org.au. Um, we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. Um, we're here on 3 Community Radio because it's about the only place that a real defence of government schools can take place um, because there's so many forces out there arrayed. <laughs> Uh, to destroy the public school system in Australia. Indeed, public school systems around the world, uh, we don't discriminate. People are people. It doesn't matter what country they're in. We happen to be here sitting in Melbourne, um, Victoria, Australia, talking about ideas that are, in fact, universal. Um, in Australia, for those that don't know, we have a, an education system that is segregated based upon parental income. There are three systems. There's the public system, which is open to all. Um, within that system, there are some extraordinary things going on. They have selective schools. They have schools for people with significant educational needs. They have, yeah, they have primary schools. I was about to say bog standard. There's no such thing as a bog standard primary school. They're all different because state schools have this particular treasurable quality, which is that they can truly reflect their communities. Because if you turn up at the school gate and you live in the area, you're in. That's it. Truly public. Um, we have two other systems. We have what we call the independent system. We tend to call it the dependent system because it wouldn't exist without government funding. Um, truly, in Australia, the independent system would not exist without taxpayer funds. And we have a particular, a particular sectarian organisation called the Catholic Church, which runs a school system of many, many thousands of schools, which educates up to 25% of the population of Australia. Um, it's run by, well, it's run by a religious institution. Um, in, in Victoria up to now, it's been run by parish priests, you know, those people that have been up in front of the Royal Commission, um, into institutional childhood sexual abuse. Those people have been running um, the Catholic school system. Um, not every priest, of course, is a pedophile, but um, there's a very large number of pedophiles that are priests. Um, that's changing, actually. Um, it's interesting enough. They're shuffling the deck chairs on that one. I'm sure Jean will tell you more about it. But um, the whole, the whole private-public debate goes on and on and on because it has to until it stops, until I don't have to talk about it um, as a problem. Um, well, we just have to keep talking about it, and there's various aspects. Today, we'll be talking about very local issues. We'll be talking about a particular school, a particular private school, which is a sort of a mix of independent and Catholic. It's Catholic, but it funds itself independently. It's called St Kevin's. 
And they've had some students do some terrible things in public. And the reaction of the school is what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the individual students and their reprehensible actions. Um, quite frankly, what they did was... Well, it happened all the time 30 years ago. But now it's considered unacceptable, and I think it's right that it's considered unacceptable. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the reaction of that school's principals to what actually happened. And we'll be talking about all sorts of things, including a very interesting approach from the State Education Minister, James Merlino, in terms of funding of public schools. But before we get to that, of course, we'll have Jean's press release. I know a lot of people are sitting there, get off, get off the microphone, Robert. I want to hear Jean. Jean's got the real fire in her belly, and she's got a press release which she's... You know, slaved over this week. What, what, what number is it, Jean? 814. 814. Tell us all about it. Well, last week we talked about private schools are the real problem and um, what we did was actually define the problem. But the question I want to address this week is what is the solution? But just to go back to the definition of the problem... Uh, by these two authors, Francis Green and David Kynaston, in England. They wrote this book, which I referred to last week, called Engines of Privilege in 2018, and they defined the private school problem as a cycle of privilege with the corollary of reproduction of social class. They argue that it's hard to imagine a notable improvement in social immobility or growing inequalities while private schools continue to play an important role. Allowing an unfettered expenditure on high-quality education for only a small minority of the population condemns our society to seeming perpetuity to a damaging degree of social segregation and inequality. Now, England is a little bit different to Australia, and uh, in this in this they're talking more about the really wealthy schools like Scotch and well, Eton in, in England rather than the maintained schools. They call them maintained schools, which large numbers of our private schools are. But they do identify, and we mentioned this last week, are the continuing problems in Britain. And they can be also identified in Australian political, legal and social culture during the last 50 years. And these problems are a lack of intellectual will, even among progressives, and we do have so-called progressive politicians, but they lack the will, to take on the majority long-established institutions. In Australia, that would be the churches, particularly the Catholic Church. There's also the personal embeddedness of the schools in those in power or positions of influence because of their own schooling and or their own parental choices. Uh, Mr Andrews, for example, in Victoria sends his children to private schools and I think you would find it much the same with Mr Shorten and I think we can just take it for granted with Mr Morrison and others. An enduring attachment also is another problem to libertarianism at the expense of equality of opportunity and it's a very enduring one. And the dogs have to admit that they are libertarians. They would not abolish private schools outright, but they certainly wouldn't give them plenty of uh, money. There's also a problem of the fallacious belief, in effect it's the wishful thinking, that these schools will somehow wither away. 
They haven't withered away in England and they certainly haven't withered away in Australia. So um, Francis Green and David Kynaston conclude that if serious action is ever to be taken about a deeply damaging private school problem, these problems will have to be surmounted in coming years. They give it till 2068. And they list the options for reform and recommendations. So what is their solution? I was hoping that they would have a a very good solution, but you will find as I continue that um, it ends up in more talk. Now, Green and Kynaston believe that there are valid, well-founded policies which would address in varying degrees the British private school problems. And they canvas and they suggest... First of all, what they call contextual university admissions. That is, limits on the enrolments of graduates from private schools into our universities. Uh, Then secondly, they suggest the removal of the charitable status from private schools. And this would certainly be very interesting if this was done in Australia. But you have to remember, listeners, that in, in England they have a pretty um, interesting Charities Commission that's got a bit of teeth. And the Charities Commission in in England has been questioning the fact that the private schools there were first established 400 years ago for, for, for poor children. And that is why they were given charitable status in the first place. But they no longer cater for poor children, quite, quite, quite the reverse, and their charitable status should be taken away from them. In Australia, private schools have a double whammy uh, for getting charitable status. They are are educational and they are also religious. And that fits under two of the four reasons for charitable status in this country. They also think that there should be a taxation of school fees, that that would be a good idea. As you know, in Australia, as in England, uh, if you've got a good accountant, then you can get quite a bit of money back for those fees. They also um, suggest forms of partial integration, including both an open access scheme, that would be an open enrolment scheme, and forcing poor children on the private schools, and a fair access scheme. Uh, Above all, they believe that the time is ripe for a concerted debate about reform policies, and they say that we shouldn't run away from the problem anymore, and we shouldn't just wring our hands about depressingly stagnant social mobility and not just another solution, a free expose of social and educational divisions. And all of the facts and figures are there. The Save Our Schools people in Australia have given them to us in Australia, and they're certainly there from similar groups in England. The facts and the figures are there for all to see about how much money these places have got, who is using them, uh, their fee structures and their wealth, their extraordinary wealth in both endowments and resources. However, at this point, the authors refuse to confront the politics of hypocrisy, as they term it, because they argue that this effectively closes down debate rather than opens it up. 
they're not prepared to confront the parents. Interesting. In other words, they draw back from confronting, naming or shaming, insecure or just plain snobbish parents. Why? They note that there's a high percentage of private school insiders, in England at least, there's 64% of people who either went to private schools or send their children to private schools, who consider that the education system is in fact unfair. And I'm quoting now from them, they consider that to hope to persuade all parents who think the system is unfair to choose accordingly a state education and thereby starve the private sector of demand is an unrealistic expectation. Many are unlikely to respond in that way when their children's interests, which they may well consider have for them a higher moral value, are at stake. Instead, they believe that it would be more productive to emphasise with their current position, to say empathise with the parents' current position, and to harness the energies of all those who hold that the system itself is unfair, whatever their personal circumstances and choices. The only consequence of name-calling they consider is the silence of many. And those may include influential opinion formers who could otherwise contribute effectively and creatively to finding the best way forward. So in typical English fashion, these people want, in fact, the wealthy and the influential to be persuaded to help them. So even these authors fall back on talk rather than action. You can see where they're coming from if you go back into 19th century uh, history and you look at the abolition of slavery. That was abolished by the people in power. And you can see where they're coming from in education too in England because it was the people in power, the Lord Browns and others, who even started a state education system in the first place. But I'm not sure that that applies here in Australia. We have a plutocracy rather than an aristocracy in this country because uh, back in the 19th century, Australia was the British society with the top cut off. If we got any of those important people from England, they were usually the remittance men. They were usually the lesser sons of the aristocracy that they wanted to get rid of because they were an embarrassment. So Australia is a bit different here. And the pity, pity of it is that Green and Kyneston fail to follow the money. And the dogs have never failed to do that. In the final chapter of their book, after an historical account of recent developments of the extraordinary lobbying power of the private British system, the authors finally look outward to get an answer. And surprise, surprise, they look to Finland. Now, the current educational predicament in both the UK and Australia, with this ridiculously heavily funded private school system that is eroding our social mobility and equality in our social structures, 
can be distinguished from the Finnish experience in the last 50 years. And it's very simple, and it goes back to funding. In 1963, that year was a crucial time for both Australia and the United Kingdom when the comprehensive system of state education had been introduced in both countries in the late 50s and early 60s. But the private system sold its wares to insecure middle-class parents and said, you don't want your children mixing in comprehensive schools with the riffraff. In Australia in particular, public funding of those private institutions was introduced after 80 years without their subsidisation, from the 98, from 1872 to the 1960s, there was no public a direct public subsidisation of private education in this country. The UK also had a state subsidised maintained school system. This funding has effectively undermined the comprehensive integration of children in both the UK and Australia and consolidated a social class system with limited social mobility and gross inequalities. But the Finnish story is otherwise. Going back to 1963 and looking at Finland, this is a key year. At a time when the quality of education in Finland was barely at international average, the Finnish parliament reached a decision in principle for comprehensive school reform involving a long-term commitment to a common basic school for all and in, fact, in effect the phasing out of private schools. They said it was illegal to charge fees. This was duly implemented on the basis of widespread consensus in the 1970s. So in the 1970s, Finland was going comprehensive when in the UK and Australia they were turning back to funding and extending the private school system. There was considerable opposition from businessmen and right-wing politicians who from the 1970s to the 1990s forcibly argued that the new path would jeopardise the country's economic prospects by holding back the most talented and they demanded, surprise, surprise, choice and competition. Well, in the UK and in Australia, we gave in to the right-wing people and the privatisers and we gave everybody greater choice and competition. That's everybody excepting the poor. And then, in 2001, in the first PISA program for international student assessment, Finland outperformed all the other OECD countries and has continued to do so since. And that forced the businessman and the right-wing politicians in Finland to shut up. But they've never done that in Australia or the UK. And in 2017, a range of international indices ranked Finland the most stable, the safest and the best governed country in the world, and it was also ranked the second most socially progressive and the third wealthiest 
least corrupt and the most socially just. And in March 2018, the UN declared Finland the happiest place to live on the planet. So here's the dog's position. We're not frightened to confront anybody, private or wealthy, and we're not going to be academics writing books about it, shilly-shallying around the issue. Since 1964, when the private schools in Australia, through constant lobbying and political power of the Catholic Church, once again opened the public treasury for funding for their private schools, the dogs opposed not the existence of such schools, but their public funding. They have never deviated. The dogs have never deviated from this position. We haven't followed needs policies. We haven't followed progressives who are talking about needs policies. And we have never, ever followed the right-wing politicians talking about choice and competition. In 1964, and there are quite a few of us still around who remember, The private sector in Australia was in sharp decline and social mobility was very healthy indeed. In 1964, the young people could easily buy their own house. No worries. There's plenty of employment. And we were integrating at that time a large migration from Europe. That funding that they acquired in 1964, which started with science blocks and libraries, and in the 1970s mushroomed into millions and now is now billions of dollars, has since become a flood. Social mobility in Australia is in, on a downward spiral. Our young people cannot get jobs and they cannot buy their own house. And inequalities abound and Australia has fallen behind the international Joneses. Finland did not make the public funding of private education mistakes of the UK and Australia. And dogs rest their case. We'll have a quick break and we'll be right back with the dogs.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. There's a bit of Thomas Tallis there. Um, I promised you earlier in the program that I'd be talking about some local stuff. I mean, Jean has been talking in some detail, and I think it's really interesting. 1963 was the year that there was this split between the English-speaking countries and many others who, of course, didn't speak English and decided to go on a different path. But today... We live with the consequences of those of those times in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, thousands and now teens because we're in 2019. One of the consequences is we have a bifurcated education system. And one of the things that the very wealthiest, very, the very best, inverted commas, and I do use the inverted commas quite ironically, um, schools around Australia um, charge a great deal of money to parents to send their children there, 30000 sometimes 35000 sometimes 25000 a lot of money a year per kid. And one of the things that they um, purvey is values. Send your child to this very expensive school and they will come out with a set of values. Values will be nebulous. They'll be things like sort of kindness and leadership and philanthropy and, oh, I don't know what. But certainly um, a superior set of values are being marketed to those parents and when I say superior, superior to state schools. Now, there's been an incident in Victoria just recently, and um, the incident was, involves some boys from one of the richest private schools in Victoria. It was called St Kevin's College, um, or St Kevin's. Um, yeah, it's, it's opposite Scots. It's opposite Scots. Uh, it's a very wealthy school. Um, I was offered a job there years ago. Um, I declined it. Um, Basically, the boys did some terrible things on a tram. Um, and boys do do terrible things, and they did terrible things on the tram, and I'm not going to excuse it. But the principal did. And there's a very interesting article written by a fellow called Adam Voigt. Now, Adam Voigt um, is a free enterprise person. He's a speaker, he's an author, he's a mentor. He's a leadership and organisational culture, motivational speaker. Um, he basically goes around to places like St Kevin's and tells them how to do their job. He's one of those consultants. Now, if you're a consultant like Adam Voigt, it would be very unusual for you to come to a solid um, opinion about the behaviour of these kids, but he has. Um, he's lost his temper, and he's written an article, and I think it's really interesting, because he says, my name, Adam Voigt, was, he basically helps CEOs and leaders of corporate teams and various schools to rethink their organisational learning practices. Um, you know, it, it, he's, he's one of those guys um, that sits up the front with a PowerPoint presentation. A facilitator. Oh, no, no, he's a thought leader. No, he's not just a facilitator, he's a leader, and so therefore that's why you should give him lots of money. Mm-hmm. Facilitators don't get as much money as leaders. But Adam Voigt, and it's, he's written a really interesting article, and I think it's worth going through it, because remember, this man, is, this man has stuff at stake, because he's about to criticise one of his potential clients. And he says, today I break my rule of not criticising principals whom I've never met. It's a tough, often thankless gig being a principal, and he was a principal himself, actually in Tasmania, Adam Voigt was. But today, he says, something needs to be said. An inconvenient and perhaps unpopular truth needs to be spoken. He says there's too much at stake not to. He goes on to say, schools and parents need to work together to grow better young people, specifically better young men. There's no other way to describe the response from St Kevin's College Principal Stephen F. Russell to the vile and cowardly behaviour of his male students on Saturday than as predictable as it was manifestly inadequate. Now, the principal said, um, that is, he and his disrespectful collective of buddy misogynists have done us all a favour. 
You see, simultaneously, Russell has managed to illustrate exactly what's wrong with education in our country and precisely what is required to do something about it. He said, let's first look at the behaviour, the problem, as Jean would say. A very large group of teenage males, emboldened by their swollen numbers, chanted loudly and unchallenged on a Melbourne tram that, I wish all the ladies were holes in the road, and if I were a dump truck, I'd fill them with my load. Which is, I'm on those words, uh, well, I'm putting that here on, on the radio on 3CR, but that's what they said. And a very large number of them. And there were some people present who weren't part of those boys who had to listen to that. And yes, uh, they were threatened, I'm sure. They also uh, put it on the mobile phone. Oh, they did. So let's just let those words sink in for a moment. These boys thought it was okay, and they certainly thought there was no way they'd be held to account, either immediately or in the long term, for what they had said and what they had sung. And the school's response was typical of an organisation looking to balk responsibility. Now, there's, there's a pattern here, and if you ever see this in public life, this is, this is the system. Step one. Step one in the blame avoidance playbook is to apologise. And Russell... The principal did that artfully, garnished with references to his own daughters and his moral bona fides. Now, how on-brand is it for a Catholic institution to simply sin and repent, but with the audacity to hint at some moral high ground along the trip? Now, Mr Russell, it's not you who needs to apologise for what your students did. We'll get to your part in this shortly. If your students, it's your students who need to apologise and to do so publicly. It is they who need to be taught some responsibility for their actions and it would seem that this is a shortfall in your lauded programs to which you've apparently outsourced your responsibility to shape the behaviours and the attitudes of the boys. Apologising on your students' behalf sends a clear message that even the most awful behaviour's first response will be to cover your tracks with a sort of privilege that only a school like St Kevin's, replete with power and indeed connections, can muster. That's step one. Apologise. But not, not the kids. You, you, you just do it and then hint along the way that, well, you know, you've got children that must be terrible. Step two in the playbook of how to deal with this as a problem as a school. Step two in the school's responsibility avoidance quest was to ensure that the disciplinary action will be taken but without actually outlining what that disciplinary action is. I can just imagine a handful of meagre suspensions being doled out so that these smug, blazer-in-bladened brats can spend a couple of days on an Xbox rather than in the classroom. How about, Mr Russell, they were required to sign on to a full year of weekends, not marauding on trams to sports carnivals, but volunteering at women's shelters for domestic violence, or studying the impact of rape culture on today's women should they wish to enter their VCE year. I wonder how many of these students and their parents might take on that responsibility rather than choose to slink off to another overfunded educational dinosaur. I think we have a fair idea, he says. And then there's the third and final prong of Russell's Machiavellian plan to take this problem and make it go away. Bring God into it. Russell says that we've been following through in a pastoral manner. Can you imagine these boys sitting down with a chaplain to hear a few scripture quotes that might prompt cause for genuine reflection? That's unlikely to achieve much if the religious zealot in charge is quoting perhaps Timothy 2.12. Jane, do you know it? 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. But let's be honest. The pastor-style figure is highly unlikely to be a woman in this staunchly Catholic institution called St. Kevin's College. It's a sad indictment on our education system that we default to such well-worn and timelessly ineffective ways of responding when our kids do the wrong thing. But don't be fooled into thinking it doesn't serve a purpose. The hand-wringing and posturing, the apologising and the pastoral care and the bringing the God into it and all that sort of stuff, what will we do about these naughty boys who've been so browbeaten by those who shine a light on toxic masculinity in our community is the question. Is a wonderful distraction for Mr. Russell, his staff, his parents, from the real question that needs to be answered here. Try these on for size. How on earth did people create a school culture where these boys thought that was okay? What teaching and messaging inspired these boys to behave like they did? What sort of young men would likely emerge for 13 years of privilege, pomp, extravagance and the ever-present message that they're better than others due to the wealth they were born into? It's these young men, Mr. Russell. Your school is an example of an education system designed to entrench privilege and, on the other end, disadvantage. If you'd like this to end, mealy-mouth apologies and cover-ups won't do it. By ending our national obsession with pointless, puffed-up private schools, just might. Now, these... I mean, I could have said that. I mean, the dogs... That's that's the dog's position. Get rid of them. Um, But this is... This is the, these are the words of Mr. Voigt, who's, who depends upon these people for his, his income. I think it's fascinating that people are just getting really, really sick of it. Now, in terms of um, avoiding responsibility, there's something else that's happened structurally within the Catholic system, but I'd like to fill you in, that, fill you in on that in a little bit. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. This Sunday, 27th of October, is being dubbed the Black Day, the day that India landed its troops into the capital of Kashmir, Shirinagar, in 1947. To protest this day and to protest the current human rights violations happening in Kashmir, local Melbourne Kashmiris are meeting this Sunday, the 27th of October, in Federation Square at 12pm and will be marching to the State Library of Victoria. There will be speeches from human rights activists, including Sue Bolton, Socialist Alliance member and City of Moorland councillor and local Kashmiris. Please come meet us at 12pm to protest against the lockdown, communication ban and human rights violation happening in Kashmir. For more information, please search Vigil for Kashmir on Facebook. Join us and stand with Kashmir. Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, there's a very large number of people who send their children to Catholic schools in Victoria. Um, over the last couple of years, I've just, I just furrow my brow. Why? 
why would you send your child to a Catholic school with the findings of the Royal Commission on Childhood Sexual Abuse um, being so stark? One in ten um, Catholic priests um, are convicted pedophiles. One in ten among certain orders. Now, that's just convicted. That's not suspected or on trial or anything like that. I mean, and these people, these priests, are running schools. Um, and the schools, of course, are full of children, your children. And we're paying for this. We, the taxpayers, pay for this entire process. I mean, I've always found... I mean, forget the economics. If you're a parent, why would you do that? Well, anyway, this this has obviously presented itself as a question because what the Catholic Church in Victoria has decided to do is that they've decided to take parish priests and take them away from the schools. And all the schools aren't now going to be run by parish priests. They're going to be run by a man called Peter. Now, Peter is the Archbishop of Melbourne. Peter Comensoli, his name is. Um, he's an extraordinary fellow. He got up at the, um, at the findings of the Royal Commission and said, isn't it terrible for all us poor Catholics that we have to put up with this? He said that from the pulpit in the cathedral. I found that extraordinary, just as an attitude. Poor us, poor us Catholics for having to put up with this. It must feel terrible to be us and to feel so guilty. But that's okay, because we're the Catholic Church and we can forgive ourselves quite simply and easily, and they chose to. And what they've done is that they decided the parish priests will now be stripped of their power over hundreds of Catholic schools in Melbourne, with the Archbishop to take sole authority from next year as the Church responds to new laws that enable survivors of sexual abuse to sue the institutions. Well, they've been forced to get rid of the Ellis defence, which is one of the most execrable, execrable findings in, in Australian law that I could even think of. That is to say that the Catholic Church doesn't exist, so it can't be sued. No, so it's a bit more, in law it's a little bit more complicated. The Catholic Church is a voluntary organisation, which means as a voluntary organisation, it doesn't have uh, a legal status from the point of view of owning property. But what the Catholic Church does have are trusts which own property. But a religious organisation as such is labelled in law a voluntary organisation and they were using uh, this legal fiction, because that's what it is, to uh, avoid paying any compensation at all. Uh, And Ellis, who was an abused child but also a New South Wales lawyer had taken them to court and this was the result of his case. But as a result, he and other lawyers have fought tooth and nail to uh, upend that actual finding. And we'll return with more on this story after this. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions. 
and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, so Peter, um, the Archbishop. Peter, the Archbishop, to return to him. Away from Ellis. Um, Peter, the Archbishop, um, is doing this. He's taking charge of all um, the Catholic schools in Victoria because the Royal Commissioner told him to. He's actually doing something the Royal Commissioner said. Uh, the, char- the Royal Commission uh, recommended that the bishop of each Catholic church diocese in Australia should ensure that parish priests are not the employers of principals and are not the employers of teachers in Catholic schools. Because what that means is that if the teacher notices something that the priest is doing wrong, well, the priest can just fire the teacher or the principal or anyone, actually. So the Royal Commission said that having teaching staff employed by parish priests could make it more likely that abuse of students went unreported. The position of the parish priest as the employer of the staff of the diocese school has the potential to adversely impact on the open and effective reporting of complaints amongst priests. So what they've done is they've established an incorporated company with the authority over all schools to ensure Victorian Catholic school system can be sued by survivors of childhood sexual abuse. That's a good start. A failure by the church to make this governance reform would have put billions of dollars in annual government funding in jeopardy because the government was actually saying, you better do this or we're not going to give you the money. Um, by the way, in Victoria, Catholic schools receive $3.2 billion every year in grants from federal and state governments. Actually, it's a little bit more than that now because that was in 2017. $3.2 billion. That's, that's $3.2000000000. That's direct grants. Now, there's more than 150,000 students enrolled in Catholic schools in Melbourne, as the data show. Now, Peter, Pete, the Archbishop, um, I don't think he's got a very good record. If you think that Pete's going to make sure that uh, priests are uncovered in terms of their nefarious practices, and so a teacher can then go to the Archbishop, and the Archbishop will say, yes, well, that's all very good, you're a bit of a troublemaker. Peter's going to sack the teacher as quickly as the parish priest is, because there is nothing that the Archbishop of Melbourne has done since he's become the Archbishop. There's nothing he's done that suggests to me that he's interested in protecting anything other than the interests of the church. And I can tell you this because he's not willing to take up the recommendation of the Royal Commission, which is to say that if a priest comes to you and said, oh, yes, I just did a terrible thing with a small child, and it happens to be in this thing which they decide is called confession, um, the Archbishop will say, I'm not telling anyone that. That's not, that's not covered by mandatory reporting. That's just between me and, 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 well, I'll say it, between me and God. It's not nothing to do with the secular authorities, even though I'm taking $3.2 billion a year of taxpayers' money to run, which will now become his schools. And it will always be a he, because it's the Catholic school, it's the Catholic church. Um, sounds like I'm Catholic bashing there, but I'm not really. I'm just outlining the, the facts of the system. They're, they're, they're shifting the deck chairs. I don't think that a teacher's going to be able to walk up to the Archbishop and say, look, I think I have suspicions about this priest and the, and the Archbishop's going to do anything. I just really don't. I, c- I could be wrong, but I don't think that I am. Um, let's turn from that, which is the Catholic school system, which educates 150,000 kids in Victoria, to the state school system. And um, very interestingly, I would say, something that our education minister here in Victoria has done might be a little bit of a game changer. Now, there's been a couple of situations around Victoria where the education minister has done some pretty sneaky things. What he's done is he's spent some money to make a few state schools look really sexy to middle-class people. And then when he does that, he goes to the school next door and makes that one look sexy too. 
And so the middle class parents said, but I want to send my child to the, to the school that's the best school, and I want there to be a worse school around the corner so that my child shall have a relative advantage. But Molino is not doing that. He's sort of slowly making all the schools look sexy, building buildings, spending some money. But now he's not doing it with the buildings, because buildings are very important to aspirational middle-class people in Victoria. If a school looks good, it must be good by definition. That is the principles that all private schools have. The more facilities that they can present, um, both online and as physical infrastructure, the more money they feel they can charge to their parents. And within state schools, of course, there are no particular fees of that nature, but it's just it, it indicates the quality of education if you've got brand-new buildings. But what he's done is rather interesting. Now, I have mixed feelings about this. This is an article by Sumeya Labay um, in the Channel 9 slash Age um, on October the 24th this year, which I think is rather interesting. Now, there's going to be this new program, $60 million worth. About 50,000 pupils from grade 5 to year 8 will be signed up to an intensive online face-to-face lessons under a $60 million student excellence program. So this is a program specifically targeting gifted and talented students in the state sector. Now, this sort of goes against a lot of what comprehensive education is about in terms of um, segregating children out in terms of their perceived intelligence. But I think it's an interesting political move because thousands of Victoria's brightest students in state schools will be enrolled in accelerator programs as part of a new multi-million dollar package. As I say, multi-sixty million dollar package. They'll get to do all sorts of things. They'll get to go to art galleries. They'll get to visit universities. They'll go to technical schools. They'll go and visit CSIRO. They'll go to the zoo. They'll do biology hands-on because they're the, they're the best and the brightest in the state school system. The education department will select students through teacher feedback, which I think is very interesting, so not just numbers. Through teacher feedback, NAPREM results and other, other school reports. And it will be available in every State school. Every state school. Now this breaks a business model. This, it goes some way, not just with sexier buildings, to break the business model of the private school system and say, well, if you give us your brightest students, we'll give them a scholarship and we'll make sure they succeed. Molina's saying, no, 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 stay in a state school. We've got a special program just for your kid. If you reckon they're that special... Prove it, and if they can, off we go. Off to the CSIRO to do some amazing programs. He says parents can be assured that no matter what school their child attends, state school that is, there will be a program to push and extend high-ability students. Students will be enrolled in an intensive 10 weeks online course by Virtual Schools Victoria, who we were talking about as one of the great state schools several months ago. Government schools will be given $40 million to pay for resources to help challenge its students, as well as train their teachers. They'll be given $1.2 million funding injection to provide extra teachers with professional development and resources. I think this is... I don't necessarily approve of separating children out based on ability within a school, but I'll tell you what, this, this, is gonna, this, this is one of the problems of breaking the business model of the private education sector, so congratulations and well done to James. Speaking of great schools, I've got a great school I want to tell you about. In fact, it's the school that's the furthest away from where I'm sitting now but can still be in Victoria. I want to talk about Orbost. I want to talk about Orbost Secondary School because it's great. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment 
to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. The state, state schools. School are great of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Orbost, Orbost Secondary College. It's an, it's an inclusive school and it prides itself on creating opportunity. There's not many kids go there. It's a secondary school. There's from 7 to 12. There's 232 kids in total. 88% of those kids are from the poorest families in Australia. Um, 4% are from the, from the richest families in Australia. Um, not About 10% of the kids are Indigenous. And it's right out there on the edge of Victoria, you know. Last petrol before you get to New South Wales, I can tell you. That's still the case. But it's an amazing place. Um, it's a place where young adults learn and grow, and they're supported, and they're fostered, and they're independent, and they build skills, and they have attitudes, and they develop active, resilient, and optimistic global, global citizens. So they're out there on the edge of saying, no, 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 we're part of it. And I know for a fact that the kids from Orpah Secondary College come to town to do all sorts of things, as, just as a matter of principle. It's an extraordinary place, actually. I'm like, it is remote. If you're talking about Victoria, it's about as remote as you get. Because once you cross the border, there ain't nothing up until you get to Eden. It's just forest, 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 and, and, and waves. Um, they've actually had some money spent on them lately, and they have reasonably high-quality facilities. Now, to educate a normal child in the middle of the city without any problems, you know, the average Joe or Jill Blow... Um, takes about $15,000 to give them a gold standard education. Further away you go from major resources, the more it costs. Orbost, 19000 Cheap as chips as far as I'm concerned. Couldn't do that with a private school. Just couldn't do it. Um, how many kids are there? Well, as I say, there's not that many. There's 232. How many teachers are there? There's 26 full-time staff. So, yeah, that, that's a reasonable ratio, 1 to 10. And that's why it costs a little bit more, because that's what you'd expect in that sorts of situations, because you can't fall back on other resources that are nearby, because there ain't no other resources nearby. So, what are, yeah, okay, what are their, what are their NAPLAN results like? I, I usually have to say this about the Great State School. Um, their reading, their grammar and their numeracy in year seven is just fine. It's great. The, 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 the local primary schools are producing good kids and they're turning, in fact, in their numeracy, there's a lot of really good counterers there. I use that as a technical term, out at Orbost Secondary College. A lot of really good counterers. Um, by the time they get to Year 9, um, they're just, just like all kids would be in that situation in, in Australian context. Certainly with schools with similar students, they're doing really well. Um, against all Australian students, Orbost Secondary College unfortunately fulfills the basic assumption of the Australian education system, which is if you are born to poor parents, you will have poorer educational outcomes. If you are born to rich parents, you will get better educational outcomes. The opposite of what Jean was talking about earlier in the program about Finland. That was a decision we made in 1963, and it's a fact now today. But that doesn't mean that Orbos is no good. There's some amazing kids that have come out of that place. There's amazing kids that are there now. Um, I have to say, with the cost of this and the results they're getting, the school itself, I have to say, its focus on being a global citizen is something that's really fascinating and interesting to me. The school, wherever possible, uses local resources and the people of the community around it to help with the process. Like that is something they spend time and effort and probably dollars on doing. 
as I say, they have high-quality facilities, and they have actually creation of specialist areas to better serve the needs of students and enhance the delivery of particular courses. They spend a lot of time, because they're way out there on the edge, doing intra- and inter-school sports, cultural events, music programs, civics and leadership development programs with other schools whenever possible. So they're, they're getting on the bus a lot to get out, to see what the world is like. It's pretty amazing, actually, I have to say, because Orbost is... I don't know, anyone been there? Yeah, I have. It's a fair drive. <laughs> it's a fair drive back, too. So congratulations to all the people out there at Orbost Secondary College. You are our great state school for the week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Welcome back. Just to say goodbye to the Dogs Program. Um, look, it's been great to have your company. We are, as, as, as I keep saying through the program, the dogs. Um, we bark, we yap, we bite sometimes. But we are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. If you're interested in what we're talking about, then please contact us at our website, www.adogs.info, or indeed through the 3CR website, because we're a program here, we're all linked together, we're all one big community, at www.3cr.org.au. Now, if you have an idea for a great state school, can you please let us know here at the station? It's really simple. Um, you can, of course, email, um, email 3CR, but oh, why bother with that? Why not just get on the phone? On nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's nine four one nine eight three double seven. Say, hey, I just got a message for Rob and Jean and Dale at the dogs. This school is brilliant. Rob should do something about it, and I will. Just quite simply, I will, because it's always nice to finish the dogs program on something that means something, which is a great state school, some teachers, some students, some parents, and indeed a place, because so often. A state school is is part of the place that it is. I remember with the bushfires. Where did everyone go? They went to the local school because that was the place that everyone 
had a, had a reason to go through the front door because everyone knew what was going on. So state schools are great schools and we're here to make sure that they get even better. Um, and we need your help to do that because we are a community. But until next week, of course, because we have to keep fighting because we haven't won yet. I only stopped fighting until we won. Um, until next week, it's bye for now. Joe, you're ten years dead. I-